0: When the lead singer of a band dies, the band loses something. Something impossible to replicate. Most bands never recover. There is no Nirvana without Kurt Cobain, there are no Doors without Jim Morrison, and there is no experience without Jimi Hendrix. So when Bon Scott fell asleep in the back of a car on February 18th, 1980, and never woke up, it would have been all too easy to predict that ACDC were finished as a band. The band had just broken into the US with their last album, Highway to Hell, and were poised to become rock superstars, but their leader, friend, and frontman was now being interred at Fremantle Cemetery in Western Australia. Bond's mother Isa approached the band at her son's funeral and gave them her blessing, telling them, go out there and find a new singer. You have to do it. Bond would have wanted it that way. As the band were leaving the funeral, Bond's father said to them, you've got to find someone else. You know that. Lead guitarist Angus Young told him, we don't know what we're doing, to which Bond's father replied, well, whatever you do, don't stop. Within a month, ACDC had auditioned and recruited a new frontman in Brian Johnson, and one month after that, they were in the Bahamas to record their next album. Tropical storms, crab infestations in the studio, and the threat of being robbed by Haitian gangs cast a cloud over the already emotionally fraught recordings. But by July 25, 1980, ACDC's first album without Bon Scott was ready. The band battled with Atlantic Records to have the album cover be entirely black as a tribute to their late frontman, and had unknowingly created one of the most iconic albums in rock history. Back in Black is one of the best-selling albums of all time. While global sales figures are contested, it's probably the best-selling rock album of all time, and its songs have become a rite of passage for bedroom guitar heroes around the world, its impact leaving an indelible mark on both Australian culture and world rock history. Which is why it's easy to see how Chicago 14, an album by American rock band Chicago released just four days earlier, went under the radar. The album was the first album by the group to not even reach gold certification and is widely considered a monumental commercial flop. How did Chicago miss the mark so hard? We're gonna find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Here we are, back again on the podcast with my co-host, Pedro Duran. Pedro, how's things?
1: Good. Uh, things are terrific. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing good. Honestly, this this was a, another episode that I think you pitched, uh, these two albums, and this, more than any other combination that we've done, has been the most nervous I've been for doing a podcast. It's really? Why is that? Because we, we, for people that don't know, we're based in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. There is a street named after ACDC yeah. in the CBD. AC/DC is more than just a band; it's a religion here. Yeah, which is why I was scared because I thought, "Am I gonna have to? Am I gonna have to trash ACDC on this podcast?" I was kind of scared I was gonna have to. Yeah,
1: I was kind of nervous too when I brought it up because uh, obviously, I uh, yeah, we both live in Australia and. I know how big ACDC not is all just in the rock world and, and everywhere, but as an American living living here, you really I well I really was like, wow, AC D C is a real big thing. You know what I mean? So For people that haven't been, it's called
0: ACDC Lane and there's like rock bars and restaurants on it, and you walk down and there's just gigantic murals of like Angus Young and and, and Bon Scott and Brian Johnson and stuff. It's crazy. Going into this, it you I fell into the same trap that a lot of the best-selling albums of all time might have fallen into, like, Thriller, Hotel California, Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard. They're so overplayed and overexposed, to the point of parody, almost, like Weird Al Yankovic has probably done a song on them. So I was very worried that I was going to find this really corny and lame. Not only that, my parents also used to own a country pub, which is another level of AC/DC worship, and so I got into them really young, they had these big old jukeboxes with like hundreds of CDs in them, and every day after school, I'd go to the pub and just use the jukebox for free. And I just put on song after song of ACDC. and I had it on my brother's little um, pink iPod Mini or something. I've, so I've sort of become inured, if that, if that's what I can say, to the charms of of Akadaka over over the years.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that's a and that's a good thing to bring up because, like I was saying going in, I was like you know how am i gonna feel about it right and um is the album too sacrosanct to even discuss in any negative way but i mean (laughs) going back i mean i think the album lives up to to his uh to his fame and it's it's a pretty good album like it's excellent there's there's some things that i mean just in 2020's eyes you can have some problems with but um um, it was definitely better than Chicago, I thought. What about, what what'd you think?
0: I mean, what's your relationship with Chicago? Because American band, you know, a like great American rock band.
1: Um, Nothing. I mean, I've heard of Chicago before, but I've never really listened to them at all. Like, at all. Like, I just know that they were one of those bands that are just been playing forever and ever and ever and stuff like that. But uh, with me, especially when it comes to rock music, um, I tend to like rock bands That are super influenced by blues and they tend to be a a little more on the heavy side. You know what I mean? So the Aerosmiths, um, even more even to like when it's kind of teetering to heavy metal Aerosmiths, the Nirvanas, the Guns N' Roses as far as American bands than other like British bands. Like I love the darkness, you know, <laughs> but I think even the darkness sometimes is almost like, I don't know. I, I, it's, they are great, but sometimes they can teeter on parody sometimes, right? Um, especially with that video. The only connection I have with Chicago really is my dad actually got
0: into a really good Russian cover band that only did Chicago and they're called Chicago Bitch. Right. And he put me onto them and they're pretty good. But I was always of the impression that they did only like soft, air supply kind of ballads, um, which is not the case, and I was kind of surprised with the album. We're going to go into it. Before we do that, how about a small history lesson of why ACDC is so important? Yeah, let's go for it. Even before we get into it, do I think Back in Black is a little bit cringe? Yeah. Do I think every ACDC album sounds pretty much the same? Yes, but... That is what they are going for. They've got one speed, they've got one flavour, and it's distilled in one big bang. And they've cultivated this particular sound in pubs and clubs around Australia in this time period and exported it to the world. So this is going to be a small history lesson for anyone born after, I don't know, 1985, including myself. (laughs) Pub rock, that is rock and roll bands playing in pubs, used to be massive in Australia. Absolutely huge. In the same way that... People get excited for EDM or for hip-hop. Pub rock was so big. And there were a few contributing factors to this. In the 60s and 70s, the legal drinking age in Australia got lowered from 21 to 18. Pubs were suddenly allowed to open for much, much longer. Previously, a pub had to close at 6pm, which is crazy early. So if you finish work at 5pm, you only have an hour, what they call the 6 o'clock swill, to get loaded before you went home to shout at the kids and wife. <laughs> and perhaps most shockingly of all, in the 60s and 70s, women were suddenly allowed to drink in pubs with men all of a sudden. Oh. Previously, they had a pro- their own separate section, the-, the ladies' section, and then the front bar was for the men. Very progressive. All of a sudden, women can drink in pubs. So let's put all that together. You have this young generation that love music, and suddenly they can all get maggoted together on alcohol. To me... It would be like if cocaine or MDMA was legalized and venues could sell them. That's the sort. Of, I think that's the sort of impact of pubs can open past six pm, ladies can drink in them, and you can be eighteen, not twenty one, to drink. Can you like? It's a perfect storm of events. Yeah,
1: people are just running wild.
0: Yeah, pub owners in Australia realized if I get a band to play, I'm gonna put all these draw all these young kids to drink at my pub. And if you've ever been to Australia, you'll know there's a dingy pub or hotel or tavern on every single street corner of every single town from Tasmania to Townsville. It is the perfect breeding ground, despite our small population, for bands to just tour non-stop every night, different pub up and down the East Coast. We don't have that many people, but God do we have a lot of pubs in Australia and the acoustics are generally terrible in pubs so you have to play loud and everyone is drunk so you have to play fast and be exciting on stage to get them riled up and everyone's young and fiery and a little bit horny so you get lyrics that are pretty basic and a little bit sexy and thus you get pub rock and thus you get acdc and you go out and you see a great band and you get absolutely wasted and you punch on with a few of the lads, and then you drive home because random breath testing didn't exist yet, and that was a big thing. Drink driving wasn't wasn't like a thing that was punished, so you could just get loaded and drive home. I think I've spoken to you, Pedro, about the cultural cringe of Australia of us always getting stuff like a year later when it, from when it hit America yeah. in the sixties and seventies, right. and we always thought you guys were super cool or the UK is super cool, and whatever happens locally is kind of lame. Pub rock erased that. Mm. Like, when, when you have great bands that we can be proud of, all of a sudden the cultural cringe is gone, and it, it continues today with you got stuff like Triple J and supporting local music. People love mm-hmm. that. So you'd go to these sweaty, cramped bingo halls in The Gov in Adelaide, or the Star Hotel in Newcastle, or the Civic in Sydney, or the Espy in St Kilda in, uh, in Melbourne, or the Station Hotel in Melbourne, and you'd see, like, big bands like ACDC, NXS, Midnight Oil, Cold Chisel... And all these bands would play for, like, 10 hours every night and then go to Europe and US and tour. That's what ACDC are putting onto a CD, and it resonated, obviously, not just with Australians, but with millions of people around the world. Mm. I don't know wh- where Chicago, where their roots came from. Maybe it was very similar, playing in, like, you know, dingy bars across across the States. But by the time we do this, this record, Chicago 14, they are megastars, yeah. and they have been touring and going platinum album after album after album, they've been, I think by this time they're touring for like 13 years non-stop writing and recording. So we're at like, they're about at to hit breaking point. And I think this was the breaking point for Chicago. ACDC, they're just ready to explode. This is like, they had Highway to Hell, which was big. This is the album that makes them explode. And Chicago are sort of on the tail end of, of their career to the point where after this album, I believe, realizing that the the album sales were going downhill and Chicago were past it. Columbia Records actually terminated their contract with Chicago by buying them out. They paid them $2 million to not have them on
1: the books. Yeah, I saw that. And they actually, then Columbia, the record company, actually just put out a Greatest Hits album just to fulfill their uh, contractual obligations.
0: That's crazy, right? Um, it makes me think of uh, the scene in Moneyball where Brad Pitt, Billy Bean, is talking to David Justice and he's like,
1: You're paying me $7 bucks a year, man, so... No, man, I ain't paying you seven. Yankees are paying half your salary. That's what the New York Yankees think of you. They're paying you three and a half million dollars to play against them.
0: Columbia will pay two million dollars so you aren't on our record label <laughs> yeah. anymore. Which is great. For a band that was selling millions and millions of records, it's quite a harsh thing to hear. Yeah, for sure. That's my history lesson. Do you want to get into the albums? Yeah, man, let's do it. I think we should start with Back in Black because the opening of this... Hell's Mm. Bells, which is so eerie because Bon Scott died and you're playing like a funeral dirge. Like the bells are like a funeral dirge and sort of a tribute to him. Um, And they actually went and recorded these giant church bells in in England. (laughs) This is a, a hell of a way to open an album.
1: Yes, yes. I mean... Just the way that I think it's a classic opening, you know what I mean? It's just starting with those bells, it's very ominous, and you're like, okay, what's going on? And then that guitar starts playing. And I don't know, I mean, how, what was your experience? But I, I think we spoke about it earlier and in previous episodes that we will sit down and just listen to these albums with our headphones on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you notice that the, the guitar was just, it comes in from your right headphone before? Uh, the right ear before it starts uh, like just kicking in and everything um, and then this dude Brian man he just comes in with that screeching voice and you just know it's it's on and uh, they just rock it man it's so crazy
0: honestly I think Brian Johnson is the best possible replacement they could have got for their passed away frontman Bon Scott he does a phenomenal job to the point where I think he's maybe better than Bon Scott mm. on some of the tracks because he is excellent right he is so excellent but that is a massive gaping hole to fill for someone yeah for sure the front man especially just the front man is so hard to replace even though i know angus and malcolm were the brains behind a lot of the music and the chords and stuff such a such a gaping hole and he did it well like he just took it on the chin did you did you read that story of um bon scott actually watched brian johnson perform
1: no i didn't see that what was that about
0: so i actually read a couple books for this one because i want to take it seriously acdc yeah so and and in the history of acdc what happened is bon scott had referenced to angus young previously like oh i saw this band called geordie they're from newcastle in the uk and they had this lead singer who was absolutely crazy he was wild he was singing he was screaming and then he just hit the deck and he started like screaming on the floor in agony and it was so amazing like you got to see this guys you got to see it. and you know they just like oh they're awesome so when they did the casting call obviously they're going to call this guy that bon scott loved and respected yeah. what it actually was was brian johnson actually had appendicitis that night and he didn't know it so his appendix was like bursting and he was screaming on stage and he just, he just thought I'll, I'll play through it and gave this like really gutsy performance that Bon Scott's in the crowd for. Wow! And then they took him, they took they carted him off stage and like in front of everyone and then took him to hospital. Wow. I don't know if that's, if it was hundred percent legit, he says it's legit. Everyone says it's legit. That is quite the audition. Yeah. Um, so he sort of had Bon Scott's stamp of approval. By being a musician that was so dedicated, he would scream till his lungs blew. Yeah,
1: it's almost, uh, someone might even argue that it's destiny. You know what I mean? Like,
0: honestly, yeah, it's, there's something about it, man. That is a hell of a story. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. I didn't hear about I didn't know about that. That's nuts.
0: While we're on the subject of deaths, we can't go past the fact that Chicago had a band member die. Oh, yeah. Which is guitarist Terry Kath. And this was two, maybe one or two albums right before this, but it's a right around this era. And it caused a lot of problems because he was a lot of, like, the heart and soul of the band, Terry Kath. Of course, the death is going to affect any team, and uh, it it really split them up. January 23rd, 1978, uh, Terry Kath, he's at a party. I don't want to, you know, allege anything, but I'm going to assume that drugs and alcohol played a a factor in this. Mm -hmm. And they started playing Russian roulette, and his friend picked up a gun And put it to his head and pulled the trigger and it was empty. And then Terry did it with a gun that was loaded and he ended up shooting himself. Which is a fucking tragic way to die. It's absolutely horrible. And it obviously affected them because after that their albums were different. Um, There were a lot of personal problems for, for members of the band. So it really, really hurt but i don't i don't think you hear that on this album like the opening track of Chicago 14 manipulation it's just like a nice funky track that says absolutely nothing
1: yeah yeah i've noticed that did you notice um there's a lot of horns and trumpets on this album too
0: yeah i mean that's the thing i think chicago was sort of known for that like the there's actually less horns and trumpets on this than on other albums okay. they, and i think a, a lot of fans were like where's the brass like we wanted more brass that sort of big band sound yeah
1: it's funny cuz uh, cuz this is uh, the first time I've actually listened to a Chicago album. So when li- going in, you know, I'm thinking I'm expecting like rock, like hard rock. So I um I didn't didn't uh, realize it had so much of uh trumpets, there's a saxophone at one point. Um I just didn't realize that this was their sound. So when I heard it, I was kind of like, "Oh, all right, it's it is rock, but it isn't as heavy as, you know, an ac two or like an Aerosmith." Or even some of the heavy metal bands at the time. Um, so uh, that was a that was a, a, a thing I had to get used to for when I continue with the album as well. Especially listening, I've listened to back and Black a thousand times, right? So you just know what you're getting into. you just you feel the vibe and you know uh, the sound of it. And then listening to this, especially if there's something that came out days within each other, and you know, yeah,
0: four days, and you're comparing them. Yeah, like, come on. Yeah,
1: um, you. I, I would have figured that maybe the sound uh, would have been at least um, um a lot more similar than than it was.
0: And and this is probably unfair because like obviously ac are on the spectrum where they're pretty much heavy metal by nineteen in 1980 they're heavy metal right. compared to Chicago, which is almost more progressive rock vibes. Mm-hmm. It's it they're like really like jazzy and and a lot more flourishes, but. Like, okay, the two opening tracks here, Manipulation. I didn't mind this song. It's a pretty good Chicago song. It's got some funky bass lines and stuff going on. But you can bet Hell's Bells is the first song of Back and Black and then Shoot to Thrill. That is the, like, two biggest bangers you could open with. This is music that you would come out of, like, a boxing tunnel yeah. to, like, do battle even, right? Like, Shoot to Thrill for me... This is a song you gunned down Charlie in the jungle, too. Like, I wish, I bet, <laughs> jeez. Francis Ford Coppola wishes this was out in 1979 so he didn't have to use Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah. Like, Shoot to Thrill is such a good song. It's so, it just gets you amped up.
1: Yeah, yeah. They do. They do really get you, like, hype. It's funny that you said that. Cause, yeah, Hell's Bells does sound like the Undertaker's music. You know what I mean? Just as perfect with the bells and boom, boom, then it comes Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And it's funny cause, and we can, and we'll compare with, uh, with the Chicago but with with back in black the whole album it really to me it really is like a rock album because what is like rock and roll all about like basically it's just about like partying drinking and fucking girls right i mean that was what shoot you thrill is all about it's just about it, like the metaphor about like basically his gun being like his his dick right yeah his penis that's a better way of saying it <laughs> um and he's just talking about it and you know he's saying and he's climaxing by pulling the trigger and all these things so i just thought it was it was great it it just fit the role of the the mole of that that rock and roll uh, archetype
0: and the next song in chicago's album song for you what did you think of song for you this is a definite change in tempo right right
1: definitely um i don't know i mean i i think like I said, I've never listened to a Chicago album, so I'm listening to this and now I'm thinking that this is indicative of their whole musical style. And I was just like, "Oh, okay. I kind of thought it was kind of corny, man. Uh I didn't I didn't like the lyrics.
0: There's a reason for that." Yeah. I mean, I think actually I think before before that we might have had Upon Arrival, which I was just like, "Yeah, it's a fine song." But then Song for You was where, sorry, the third song, the song for you is where the corniness for me jumped up like 10 decibels.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is the worst song on the album <laughs> um, because there's other songs that I can uh, on 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 uh, Chicago's on Chicago's album where I was kind of like, okay, I can kind of feel, but I think this was the worst song. I, I was just kind of like, where is this going? And it's just some of the lyrics I just couldn't. I was not getting into. And it's just. I have a man that you. I don't know it was just kind of bland for me I was just uh I was just uh, it's just super whack I, I didn't I didn't like it at all looking at song
0: for you um here's something we haven't done in a while we don't want to take a deep dive into the comments the YouTube comments yeah um and may I say I love baby boomers commenting on YouTube because they actually post constructive sentences and comments instead of just like fucking memes from Spongebob yeah
1: you know what's funny that you say that me-
0: thumbs up if you're listening in 2020 Ooh. yeah
1: it's funny that you say that because I was Listen to this album, and I was like, "It's like this. This whole album sounds like rock music for boomers." <laughs> That's what. That's my conclusion. And it that is. was my conclusion of this whole thing.
0: I actually have a couple. If you if you, you're gonna give me the give me the time yeah. uh, to get through them, but they're really good. Dawn Patrol 700 said this certainly wasn't their best album, but it was still worthy. It wasn't until the real syrupy ballad started to overtake the entire albums so that they went from my favourite band to a band I despised. They lost me entirely in 1982 with Chicago 16. It was a big hit for them, but I hated it. The only thing I could stand on the entire album was a one-minute song, but to get to that you had to suffer through the air-supply drivel of hard-to-say-I'm-sorry. Yeesh. Yeesh. Which is awesome. Yeah. Blue Eyes 1970 said... In my opinion, Cetera, uh, one of the members of the band, bombed as a songwriter on most of his contributions to this album. Most of his songs are the kind of syrupy muck that sank his solo career years later and weighed down Chicago 16 and 17. This is not a bad album despite its reputation, and the main reason it's not a bad album is Robert Lamb. Despite being in the middle of a bad patch in his personal life, Bobby woke up and churned out a stack of energetic tunes that sound much more alive than Cetera's stuff. Dr. Cam Six said, To me, this is the last Chicago album from the original band which attempted to return to their original sound. Chris Pinnock sounds f- fantastic in true Terry's spirit. Terry, the deceased guitarist. He should have been made a permanent member. Instead of fully selling out like they did in 16, they should have gone underground to recapture the original magic. I fully support this album. And Robert G, I just love this comment. After their previous albums had all gone platinum or gold, this one went plywood. Jeez. Which was a uh, Good. So let's let's use this as an opportunity. Song for you, because it's a syrupy ballad, and there's a reason for that. And there's a reason, where did the love and go? The next song is a syrupy, gross ballad, mm. and a lot of the next songs are. The reason for that is where the songwriting is coming from. Yeah. For Back in Black, Brian Johnson and Angus and Malcolm Young wrote all of the music. The Young Brothers doing the music, the riffs, Johnson adding lyrics and vocals here and there. It's a singular vision. For Chicago, you need an Excel spreadsheet to keep a track of all these lineup changes they're going through. In 1980, you've got nine members in the band and six different songwriters. Mm-hmm. But the biggest two here, which were mentioned in those comments, are Peter Cetera and Robert Lamb, and their influence is so clear. You know why? Cetera does the ballads, Lamb does the rock tracks. Cetera does fucking lame music, and Lamb kicks so much ass. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's unfair, as Cetera's obviously talented... At what he does, and he does turn in a great performance, I thought, on Hold On, on this album. His bass playing is really good. But Lamb wrote all their big rock hits, like 25 or 6 to 4, Saturday in the Park. Sederu's songwriting takes them in a different direction after this album. They, he does ballads like You're the Inspiration. Have you heard that song?
1: No, I haven't.
0: It sucks, so you probably, you probably don't need to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> 80s soft rock schlock that gets sung at karaoke by drunk people yeah. and that's eventually what ends up happening they go in that direction. In About two years from now, Lamb is going through some stuff in his personal life, he's close to leaving and Peter Cetera starts writing more and more to, to cover up for it and they release Chicago 16 which is seen as their comeback album and is so soft rock and saccharine and all the ballads that you hate on this album it's the entire album. Wow. And they drop some band members who didn't sound poppy enough and this was tough for a lot of Chicago OG fans, right? Because right. they, they were saying his ballads, they're successful, but it's the worst kind of success they could have because they sold out. So a lot of people considered what we're listening to, Chicago 14 is the last true quote-unquote Chicago album. But again, there's a reason, like, I hate all the Peter Cetera songs on mm-hmm. here because, or Cetera, maybe I'm saying it wrong, It they're just so soft and weak and lame, especially when you come from listening to Back in Black, which is like, viagra in your headphones and you're just like yeah get in and then you listen to this and it's like the limpest lamest thing yeah
1: i I, and that's the that's a that's a great way to to compare them like back in black just like kicks ass and it's so sexually charged with the lyrics and just the riffs and everything about it and chicago this album it's just for me it was like super bland um there were some points where i was kind of like oh okay they have something there but i just wasn't 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 feeling it Where i mean when it comes to rock me personally i love riffs you know like hard heavy riffs like i said there's the more bluesy the better where with this album i didn't mind the horns like i said but i was surprised that there were a lot of horns in it and then at some parts, I felt like it almost kind of teeters to almost like disco music in a bit.
0: And we are coming out of the 70s. Yeah.
1: And I thought I think that was a, a, a part of it. Like it was like, OK, well, they just, you know, they're doing whatever is popular right now or that's just the sound at the time. So um, I get that. I just didn't feel like it, uh, it was a definitive genre. And 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 then another thing, too. I did, and the research goes to show like there were so many people involved with this. I, there was just so many cooks in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think I sent you a, uh, an interview earlier in the day, and it was some guy interviewing them, I think for American Bandstand. And they were just like, so how many guys uh, who wrote what song? And it's just like, oh yeah, we wrote this song. We wrote this song. And it just seemed like no one was getting along because they were talking about how, you know, all the other guys will be down by the beach. And we actually just wrote a song and then bring it up to them after, after the fact. So um it just didn't seem like a cohesive, uh, a cohesive process. And, uh, but then it's the same
0: thing. Like, they've brought in a guest guitarist because their guitarist shot himself. And then he doesn't really know anyone and doesn't really get along with the band because he, he's not a part of the band. He's just a session musician, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So I think that's a big thing uh, about it.
0: But yeah, The Too Many Cooks, I totally get it because we just had three Peter Setterer songs upon arrival, Song for You, and then Where Did The Love and Go? Same, same stuff. Soft rock, soft. And then we have Birthday Boy, which is like hard left turn. Yeah. Yeah. Birthday Boy, hard left turn into a cliff. This song blows. Birthday Boy. And this is, I, I was reading, this is the first Chicago album that really had a lot of synthesizers on it. And boy, did they get their money's worth yeah, on this Yeah, they put it
1: hard on this one. <laughs> I was like, what the f- What the fuck, man?
0: <laughs> this, it, you know what reminds me of? This is going to be a, a, like a total, not going to make sense to anyone but me. But a couple of years ago, my brother, he won an Apple Watch okay. at, at like a work Christmas party or whatever. Okay. And he doesn't really wear a watch at all. He has a phone, so he, he had no he had no use for it. But for the first week of owning it, he's like, well, I may as well use it. He'd just constantly be asking in the middle of the living room, middle of the day, "Um, what's the time? What's the time? And then just looking at his Apple Watch like, oh, look at that. I have a i have an apple watch and oh look at the time Oh, i might just check the old apple watch yeah eh? yeah. that is what chicago is doing with this song just cramming that shit in there they're like oh time for the chorus how about uh how about some synthesizers oh you you want a bridge how about a synth bridge you know what that needs a couple more synths. like they are getting them like we paid eight thousand dollars for this roland synthesizer i want to get my money's worth
1: yeah it's it's crazy you know um it was. It's definitely, definitely there. You're kind of like, what the fuck? It's are also they doing? welcome you know?
0: to 1980. This is the future. Yeah. Yeah.
1: which is crazy because in, in a couple of years, like Van Halen's going to use it, and they and they absolutely kill it. Maybe I don't know if Chicago was ahead of the time or they just were uh, inept of how to use it properly. But um, <laughs> they were just inept. Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. But the and also the thing is the lyrics kind of. Uh, no pun intended blow as well I mean, you know, it's called
0: birthday boy, I mean,
1: yeah, birthday boy, blow out the candles, good friends around you. you should feel okay, don't look so sad and blue, don't act forsaken. this day's for you I was I was like, what the fuck is going on? like it just um it doesn't sound like a rock song. this is the the lyrics of a of a, of a of a rock and roll song. it just sounds um, man, it just sounded it just sounded whack to me, so so that
0: was the end of side one of that of that. Album And I was like, ooh, brother, there's another side to this album. Oh, how am I going to do this? And yeah. to be fair, like, when we get to, on Back and Black, you get a song to, like, given the dog a bone. Yeah. You do realize, you do, ACDC only have one thing that they do. They have one flavor, yeah. one speed hard rock. Angus Young is quoted as saying, quote... Some bands fade when they try to adapt to what is current. We play rock music. It's too, a little too late for us to do a ballad. Rock is what we do best. And sometimes I'm asked if I want to play music other than ACDC. And sure, at home I'll play a little blues, but after five minutes I'm like, sod this, and I'm playing hard rock again. So he's mm-hmm. like, look, we're aware this is what we do. It's what you come to ACDC for. So just let it. we're just going to do it. And it does get tiring. And as I said, all their albums sound the same, but they do mm-hmm. it exceedingly well.
1: Yeah, I mean, Pack and Black isn't perfect either. I mean, uh, two of the weakest songs for me were uh, "What You Do for Money, Honey" and "Give a Dog a Bone." Yeah, but um, it's
0: just, and because they're they're quite like sophomoreish, like immature lyrics talking about like a sex worker, when talking about giving a dog a bone. I think he's talking about giving fellatio.
1: And even the lyrics, you know, it would be like, she and it's and it's so obvious, too. There's no subtlety to it. It's like, she'd take you down easy, going down to her knees, going down to the devil, down, down to 90 degrees. Ah, she's blowing me crazy till my ammunition is dry. So, yeah, I mean, it's
0: like, we get it. We get it, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and then it, furthermore, they go on to say, ah, she's using her head again. She's using her head. Ah, she's using her head again. So it's like, yeah, we get it. It's fellatio. It's a blowjob. Yeah. Um, but I guess if you're not if you're not really paying attention to lyrics, like you said before, if you're in a pub and you're just jamming out and you're and you're halfway yeah, drunk, I mean, you're,
0: you're gonna be like just you're hammered drunk, you're blitzed, yeah. There's chicks around. You just yeah, you know, you're gonna go wild. So that that happens. That's it's fine. It's fine. But then side two of the Chicago album, Chicago fourteen, jumping back, the two songs on here thunder and lightning and i'd rather be rich is this a is this a back-to-back double At uh, towards the end there's two more of ballads but i just mm-hmm. and they're they're fine but when we're talking about rock i was like oh these two songs actually rock like these are good progressive rock tracks and maybe it's lamb's influence here as a songwriter and a keyboardist because he wrote both these songs mm-hmm. but there was like a yes vibe i don't know if you that know that band yes from some of the keyboard work especially the opening of i'd rather be rich Thunder and Lightning saved this album for me because they were, like, mm. rocky, they were funky, there was some, like, variation, they were jazzy, and it just washed all the filth out of my ears before because um, it was hard, hard work. This album was very hard work, the Chicago album. Yeah,
1: Thunder and Lightning, I think this was the first single, or, wait, actually the only single, because I think after this, um, this charted maybe, like, in the lower 50 half of the you know of the charts and then after that it's, they were just like it's crazy
0: um... to think because we were talking about a band that sold millions of every record everything they touched was turned to platinum turned to gold it's like it would be like if Kanye West released an album and no one paid attention to it like just no one bought it just because uh, yeah you're done like it's it's an un, unfathomable like a Taylor Swift doing a concert tour and not selling it out it's like that because they were so big. But people were just sick and tired of it. And it was time for something new.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's strange. And oh, it's strange that... I mean, I think after a while it becomes their thing, but their albums don't have any names, right? It's just Chicago 1, Chicago 2, Chicago 3, etc. And it's annoying
0: because they'll occasionally do a live album or a Christmas album. So their 15th album is actually Chicago 14 or like their 31st album is actually Chicago 28. It's, It's so annoying.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's a thing of, you know, when you're just on top for so long and you're the biggest band in the world that you lose touch and you just kind of, you know...
0: Well, that's what I said. Like Take- it had been, they'd been touring at this point for over ten years, just riding and touring. You know nothing else anymore. You're like numb almost to 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 anything.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a, a big aspect of it. But all the other things that we'll, we'll probably discuss when we talk about the conclusion. But uh, yeah, I, I like this song. Uh, I, I like how it starts off with that thunder the anonymous uh uh thunder and then yeah because you're, th- you're like oh fuck this is a real rock rock song you know comes in with the with the horns and stuff but i will say the one criticism is it does sound super 70s man like it has that sound to it yeah like um, they haven't I can Im- moved on yeah it can. it could i imagine this song being on like the boogie night soundtrack or even like Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, it's catchy, and um, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great single, and um I, and I dug the the saxophone solo to it as well. So
0: for for those keeping count at home, uh, this was Chicago fourteen in nineteen eighty. They're up to Chicago thirty seven with their latest album, Chicago Christmas, that was released
1: last year. Oh, okay, all right, cool. So they're they're still doing their thing, so.
0: Yeah, but like this, so this to me is just Peter Lamb being the actual heart and soul of Chicago and just having really great keyboard lines and like really great vision. And Peter Sattera, he wants to do, wants to do soft rock. He's like, there's money here. I like doing soft rock. People like it. And he won out and they may had a big comeback and made mm-hmm. lots of money. But if you're a true Chicago fan, maybe not so much. The, uh, there's the next song on Back in Black, Let Me Put My Love Into You. You know, this is Bon Scott on the drums.
1: Oh no, I didn't know that. Just at on all.
0: on the intro, this is Bon Scott playing the drums. He always wanted to be the drummer, actually, not the front man. He always <laughs> wanted to play drums for the band, but they're like, "No, come on, you're you're like you, no one can scream like you." Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was pretty incredible. But it, it's like a fine song. Any song that comes before the title track is not gonna, it's not gonna hold up. Like "Back in Black," say what you want, overplayed, done to death, parody of itself mm-hmm. now. It is one of the most famous riffs of all time. And yeah. it, it, as a tribute to a fallen band member, and he's singing from the perspective of Bon Scott, saying he's got nine lives and you're going to have to catch me if if you want to hang me. This is an amazing song.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right with what you're saying. It is it is one of the most famous riffs to the point that it's, it's part of just, like, pop culture now. You know what I mean? Um, I remember... <laughs> now i'm mean, gonna a little confessional i was uh, i used to wrestle in high school hell and, yeah um, hell yeah. yeah i was, I was uh, like olympic style wrestling our team colors were uh our way matches excuse me were red and black so on our home matches it was just straight black so that year because we were returning champions our whole theme was back in black so our, awesome. our singlets awesome. our singlets yeah our singlets were like black our t-shirts the team jerseys were all black and it said back in black so that was my first introduction to acdc dc because you know I was like 14 years old I didn't really know it. and then people were like you know we're wearing these shirts and then the coach would play back in black during uh practice sessions and practice drills and stuff and before matches to get the the team hype uh and all these things so it just became you know just something you grow up with and like I was saying before That song is just a part of pop culture. And I was going over today just how many uh, like movies would use that song. So for instance, like First Night with Heath Ledger, of course, School of Rock uh, with Jack Black. Iron Man is a big one uh, with Robert Downey Jr. Bruno the Smurfs, um, <laughs> the Smurfs. Even like car- yeah, even cartoons would use that song. But uh, like in Avengers, you know, um, one of the biggest movies of all time, just in, incorporates that tune.
0: I don't know, I, I can't. There's something about it where if you're like a 14 year old boy and maybe probably 14 year old girls the same if you listen to it and you're really a rocker. It just, it makes you want to run through a brick wall. Some of these songs, they're just like, it pumps you up. It gets you so amped, and I can't explain what it is. It's just something about the music. It was something they tried to do. Uh, Mutt Lang, who produced the album, said we wanted a record that still sounds as ballsy if you play it quiet as if you play it loud and i 100% get that because i was listening on headphones just in my room and i was getting amped just and at pretty a very minimal volume you know i wasn't pumping it but i was like this song kicks ass and the whole album is like that where it sounds so loud even though they're just playing it in in your headphones and they had a horrible time as i said at the top of the show recording this in the bahamas like it was supposed to be some tropical getaway destination and they just had a horrible time with storms, and it was the weather was awful and it was dangerous and the even the acoustics were not suited at all so Mutlang had to go around with a snare drum to different parts of the room and just hit it and it would sound different and you have to find a place in the room that was acceptable to record in because most of it was like completely unusable so the fact that they even got this done is impressive, and the fact that it sounds exactly what they wanted, which is it sounds so loud and powerful even at one on the volume as opposed to 11 is is amazing
1: yeah wow that's so that's so crazy man what i was gonna say is like you're absolutely right um the way that the album sounds i don't know if it's the mix or whatever it's just the sound that, of the record like you can you can play the songs low on low volume and it's still balls to the wall to the point that i mean i was listening to it the other day just you know just puttering around the house with my my headphones on and i just I don't know, subconsciously, just raise the volume because I was just like, no, I need to listen to this loud. You know what I mean? It's just like the yeah, way that it's This is how it was to meant played. to be taken. Yeah, exactly. And I,
0: I love Back and Black just because like, that is a Bond-Scott song and they, they went to Brian Johnson and like, hey, we want a song for Bond, but we want you to write some lyrics. And he was like, I don't think I can do it. Yeah, it's like, that's so important to you guys. He's like, no, we want you to be a part of the band. We want you to write some of the lyrics. And it's a tribute to Bond, which is great. But he is spiritually all throughout this album especially on one of my favorite tracks and people hate this song people hate it for some reason but you shook me all night long i i still love that song
1: yeah i do love that song too (laughs) it's the one
0: honestly the one line where he sings like knocking me out with those american thighs and i was like oh like that there's something about that line is so good i i've always loved it And he admitted, like, I hadn't even been to America when I wrote that line, but when they were in the Bahamas, there were a couple of American girls around, and they were so beautiful, and they were, like, blonde, bronze, tall, and he'd never seen anyone that beautiful before. So he was just using his imagination, what if I actually could go and talk to these girls, and he thought, you know what, Bon Scott would be able to go and talk to those girls, he could do anything, he was just so charming and charismatic, so he wrote it. As a sort of tribute to Bond, like you know Bond would talk to those american girls and so his spirit is all throughout this album
1: yeah yeah i i love this song i think this this is definitely my favorite song on the album just because it is so much in the spirit of like rock and roll and what i mean is like that old i mean it could be that like that 50s rock and roll just like having fun just partying just hang just banging girls and stuff like that and the lyrics itself tell a story, and I think that's why it hits when that line goes "knock me out with those American thighs" because you're already like on this ride with him, and then he drops that line, and you're like, "Oh yeah, oh shit, I'm down with this." You know what I mean? Yeah, I just think I think it's just a a great song to listen to the pub in the pub when you're just like drunk and just hanging out. It's just a part a great party song, man. Like it's it's just it's 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 just up there. It's just for me, it's one of the greatest party songs ever
0: um it is ab- absolutely and it just it has so much attitude and so much like spunk that y- this is like suited to playing in a pub and just rocking out whereas chicago's music is not suited for that ever i think chicago's no. music is for like a it's for like a concert hall or something or something like that
1: yeah i think i was listening to this album and i was like like i'm saying before it's almost like baby boomer rock music like i imagine just sitting down and listening to this music yeah in in an auditorium and people just like oh yeah i remember when this came out whereas uh you know acdc i imagine you're standing up at the place where wherever you're at it's just kind of dirty and grimy and you're just stomping your foot and tapping your toes and stuff so combing Um, your fingers through your mullet yeah
0: (laughs) absolutely yeah it's and it's just see Chicago in the 70s used to be kind of like cool and edgy back when and they were called the Chicago Transit Authority actually and they shortened it but they used to be quite quite out there and they had some real progressive rock vibes as I mentioned to the point where like they were railing against like the Nixon administration they were really critical and they were like an edgy band But by the time we get to Chicago 14, 1980, they've become so toothless. And the song The American Dream at the end of the album is like the wettest fart I've ever heard, where they try to be like... sort of offensive and like try to be like critical of the government Political. yeah and it just falls on its face when they say how many times have you told us rome wasn't built in a day we can believe in the white house everything's cool go away well capitol hill is gonna crumble falling apart at the seams you, you know we're tired of seeing you stumble you're crushing the american dream and i was like oh. yeah I like a lot of patriotic American songs, you know, even if they're singing like, let's hope for the red, white and blue. I think born in the USA is one of the best rock songs of all time. Um, yeah. Even though it's, it's sarcastic and pointing fun at the country. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like a great American song and captures the spirit of America. This American dream would make me want to defect to the USSR or something. This song <laughs> sucked. Yeah, oh my God. Especially in sucked. 1980. Yeah, it's funny yeah, yeah. that you
1: brought up uh, born in the USA. Cause I, when i listened to this i definitely got a vibe that was like oh they're trying to be like bruce springsteen you know yeah and except he's like
0: he's a much much better songwriter
1: yeah and because of this i was just like "Shit's kind of like super corny and i was like where are they trying to go for like a you know uh, Fortunate son type of vibe, or it was just like it was just kind of it's just like I said it was just kind of corny to me. It was just like it's it's just you know, and the the whole thing
0: is like yeah, Bruce Springsteen he does have the the party dance songs and stuff, but he has soul and heart. Whereas this this entire album has been like soft rock, talking about birthday boy, talking about you know meeting a girl in a cafe. Yeah. So when you get to a, a, you try to do a political song as the last song on the album, of course it's going to fall flat on its face. Like, you're not rage against the machine here. I I just didn't understand it as a choice to include it. Because on the bonus edition, there were other songs that they cut, like Doing Business and Live It Up. Mm -hmm. There are some good songs that they cut that only ended up as bonus tracks on the reissue. I can't believe they didn't cut The American Dream or didn't cut, like, I don't know, Where Did The Lovin' Go? Some of them were rough.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand. Maybe it was just an argument of between the band members of like this is going to stay and this is going to stay, or this is going to go and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was written by like another
0: person, James Pancow. So it's like you get one song, all right. Like you can you can do whatever you want, even if it's terrible. But you only get one song on the album. And that right, right.
1: This. Yeah, I think that's a big problem with this whole album. It's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks, and they were bringing on other people. So internally they just didn't know where they wanted to go what what kind of sound they wanted to to have and they were already you know chicago at that point they're one of the biggest bands in the world so maybe they had a bit of um hubris amongst them uh, about themselves so they were just thought like oh yeah well you know we're gonna be some hot shit anyway and um i think it just just all fell apart for me like the whole album itself i felt like it was edging to, to <laughs> the fact, like honestly i just felt like it was just on the edge of doing it was like edging it was like something's gonna come something's gonna come and nothing ever shoots out that's a terrible way to say it but like nothing ever comes out of it there's no to me there was really no like standout hits no standout records um nothing of it was like super memorable i mean mm like thunder and lightning was a good song but
0: yeah i could say that for the next two songs or whatever of back and black they're fine but they didn't jump out at me um it's like shake a leg
1: and rock and roll ain't noise pollution no
0: no have a drink on me rock and roll ain't noise Pollution oh, oh, is the yeah. final song and like it's one of those crazy stories that i didn't think they wrote the song in 15 minutes and they're just like brian's having a cigarette at the start of the song and takes a drag and then he's like, yeah, you know, they were complaining that, you, that you, there was noise pollution It was in the news and you couldn't turn your stereo up after 11 o'clock at night in London or whatever. So we just wrote the song in 15 minutes and it's a massive hit. That's the difference of like someone at their creative peak and like entering superstardom and a, and a band on the downslope heading nowhere.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, 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 I like Have a Drink On Me. It's just once you're in the mood, once you've been listening to the album... You know, uh it is for a bit. very samey. Yeah, and, and and it follows that uh formula. It's a, I guess it's the best way to say it. Just like this is just music to be drinking to, to be partying to. So when you're just sitting there and you're like, have a drink, you know, like it's like, all right, cool, that's what's up. And um I also thought it was uh, like I know the whole album itself is very much of a, of a dedication to uh to uh Scott. Uh, but you know it's i think it's a little i think it's ballsy for them to have a song like this when the guy just died out of died from alcoholism you know what i mean they're not shying away from it i think uh yeah it's uh super ballsy of them to do and just kind of adds to that in-your-face attitude that they're uh that they're trying to convey you know
0: i i didn't have anything else for either album but did you have any other notes that i missed
1: not so much nothing that we haven't really spoke about. The only thing I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I think a big reason why the album didn't do well is because, you know, we have like multiple writers for an album that has like, what, 11 tracks on it. So it just suffers from too many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks. And also I think the sound that they have on this record is just on the decline Um And if you just look at the music scene at the time, just hard rock is on the rise, you know what I mean? And not just in the U S but just other bands in general, like Zeppelin, black Sabbath, like ACDC, of course, and stuff. So by the time, you know, the 1980s start rolling around, you got bands like kiss Aerosmith and Van Halen who've, you know, they've planted some seeds in the 1970s, but now they're, they're, they're starting to, to bloom in the 1980s. So, um, you Know Van Halen puts out an album 1978, Aerosmith in 1979. Um, and then you have other bands just coming up and they're just going for a harder sound. Uh, ACDC definitely fits that that musical landscape, but also the story they have it's almost like a Goliath, uh, David and Goliath kind of scene. ACDC is coming from a time where you know their lead singer died, so people are kind of looking at them and like, What are you going to do? Are you going to live up? to highway to hell and um they they knock it out of the ballpark you know with uh, one of the biggest albums ever so i feel like it kind of fits into that underdog legend or motif whatever you want to say and let me ask you do you if sometimes i and i've heard from other people i feel like living here in australia that people will say that that kind of uh, underdog attitude is very much a part of the culture here so um I think that's another reason as to why um, they're so uh, revered but I wanted to get your opinion on that
0: yeah I think it, it, it is a little bit of like they were just they were just guys that played in pubs you know and I know the young brothers they had it early on with the easy beats in the 60s just like a British invasion band, and that didn't really work out but I think there's a relatability to, for us as Australians, just saying, like, these are guys that you would have a beer with, which is very Mm -hmm. important. It's very important. And even if, like, you know, Brian Johnson isn't even Australian, and a lot of them have Scottish heritage and stuff, but it's just something Mm -hmm. they were so embraced, not only because they were incredibly talented and incredible guitarists and everything... But it was just uh, maybe a, a closeness or relatability where we could s- we see those bands at our pub on a Saturday night. You go down to the corner pub and there's a band just like that playing. But they're on the world stage and their music kicks ass. Like, what more could you want? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know how we finish things, man. You got to pick yes. a song
1: from both albums. All right. Which uh, I'll, I'll do. Well, ACDC for me from back in black is going to be shook me uh, shook me all night long like i was saying before i love that song fantastic song. i can i can listen to that anytime and i think i mean there's other great songs on that but i will say if you have to listen to one just listen to that um and from chicago 14 oof man it's I'm gonna say uh, thunder and lightning. I'm gonna say yeah, just because I th- I thought that was the best song for me. And like I was saying before, I can really see it being on a on a. I can see it being on a soundtrack of movie. Yeah, I just say that's the best song because everything else is just unforg It's really forgettable and kind of shit.
0: <laughs> I so I I thought Chicago is better than I thought it was gonna be because I thought it was gonna be really bad, and it mm-hmm. was fine. And I I do like the Robert Lamb songs on this. So, Thunder and Lightning and I'd Rather Be Rich, I really like that song. Not enough to put it on like a playlist or something, but I actually really like that song. And they had something in them to the point where I would be interested in looking at prior uh, releases by Chicago, maybe to dig up something that I like. And I know that Mm -hmm. I fact for a fact that I know like a song like Saturday in the Park is pretty fun and 25 or 6 to 4, that's a great song. As for ACDC, it was. Obviously, You Shook Me All Night Long It's great, but Shoot to Thrill, I rediscovered that sort of listening back to the album about how much I liked it and how exciting really? it was. I think it was used in Iron Man 2 or something, but... Um, it
1: was, yeah, it was, as he jumps out the airplane. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that's a badass song, man. I've been watching like live renditions of it, and they kill it. They are great live performers, too. So,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm
0: surprised they didn't have to shit all over ACDC's Back in Black, and I'm very relieved that it didn't.
1: Yeah, so am I. So am mm. I. All
0: right, man, that's it for another week. We'll see you next week, huh?
1: All right, peace out.